Hey, I'm Austin, and welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. In this talk, we kick off our three-week teaching series, Respectable Sins. This particular week, we address the issue of partial obedience, and Eric unpacks the story of Esther. He lays out some great ways to tackle the struggle of being obedient to God without falling into that kind of, sort of, mentality that we often find ourselves caught up in. Well, there you have it. Welcome to my family, where it's always an adventure, and it seems like my kids are experts at kind of, sort of, obeying. We begin a brand new experience today called Respectable Sins. And here's what we want to do. We want to take an honest look at some of the stuff that we tolerate in our lives. Some of the sins that we accept because they're really not that big of a deal. I mean, after all, I think most of the people in this room are not out murdering people. We're not Ponzi scheming our way to the top. We're not creepers. We're just kind of average people with normal kinds of sins, like kind of, sort of, obedience. What if we kind of, sort of, obeyed the authority in our lives? What if we kind of, sort of, obeyed God? What would that look like? What would happen if we lived in the land of kind of, sort of, obedience? In the video, you saw a few of my kids who kind of, sort of, obeyed. And kind of, sort of, obedience is very frustrating. It's very frustrating, and it's not a respectable thing, and it's not just a thing for kids. I think we, as adults, are pretty good at this, too. So here's our big idea for today. Kind of, sort of, obedience doesn't work. Kind of, sort of, obedience doesn't work, and it's not respectable. God wants us to be all in. We're going to unpack a story that's found in the book of Esther, and it's actually the story of Esther's life, and it's a fun story because in it we find an individual who had a normal kind of life, and all of a sudden she becomes the queen. And we love stories like this. Esther was actually born into a minority group that was absolutely hated. And at a very young age, she lost her family and she was raised by her cousin. And so she really doesn't have that fantastic of a life. And yet God used something that was average and normal He used an individual who was just kind of average and normal to do something great. This is the life, and this is the story of Queen Esther. The story unfolds as King Xerxes gets rid of his queen. And he was the king, he was the ruler of that day, and he was in the palace, and he got kind of tired of his queen when he was drunk and his pride was hurt. Now, there's probably two times where you don't want to make life-altering decisions. It's when you're toast and when your pride has been hurt. But that's exactly what King Xerxes did. 
He's like, I don't like her anymore. She doesn't make me happy. She's not working around this palace. It's just not a good thing. So send her out this door. And then King Xerxes got all of his guys together. And he said, I want you to go out. And I want you to find the most beautiful women in the kingdom and bring them in. And I will choose my next queen. That's just kind of how they rolled back in the day. And so these guys went out and they rounded up a bunch of beautiful women and they brought them into the palace. And Esther was one of those girls. The Bible tells us that Esther was lovely in form and features. Now, here's how you interpret that. She was smoking hot. That was Esther. And when people looked at her, they were like, wow, that is just an incredible human being. She is beautiful. And she caught the attention of the people around her. There was a guy who worked in the palace. His name was Haggai, and he's kind of like the Ryan Seacrest or the Tim Gunn of the day. He kind of ran the whole beauty show there. And scripture tells us that he really liked Esther. As a matter of fact, Esther chapter 2, verse 9 says, Haggai was very impressed with Esther and treated her kindly. He quickly ordered a special menu for her and provided her with beauty treatments. And so for the next 12 months, Esther kind of lives the high life. I mean, she has six months of beauty treatments, and that's followed by six months with the hair and the makeup team. And they made her look fantastic. And all of these girls came before the king, and the king did what everybody else did in the kingdom when they saw Esther. And he said, wow, she is smoking hot, and I want her for my queen. I like her, and he brings Esther in, and she wins the competition, and she's now his new queen. And this all sounds like a Disney episode, doesn't it? It kind of does. But here's the very unique thing about Esther. She's a Jewish person, and she was actually able to hide her Jewish identity, and nobody actually knew about that. Maybe that seems like it's not a big deal. Like maybe that's a private thing to her and she just didn't want to share that. But God actually had something very unique for his people in that day. He told them and he expected them to follow the law of Moses. And if they were doing that, if they were being fully obedient to God in that area, they would actually be known for a couple of things. They would stick out a bit. They would be known for their dress, their speech, their diet, their behavior, and their customs. You would just be able to look at them or hear them and know they belong to God. They are God's people. They were just kind of unique, and God wanted it that way. But Esther chose to hide that, and she was kind of blending in, kind of, sort of. That's where she was. Think about it this way. I've been an Eagles fan now for two years after moving here and switching allegiances, and I'm having a great time being an Eagles fan. And I have observed that there are a few things that mark Eagles fans. Like, there are just a few things that kind of stick out and make them very unique 
And it's very similar to the things that should have made Esther unique. For instance, their dress. And I've got myself a little jersey here, so don't mind. I'm just going to try this on a little bit and wear it. Hope it's not awkward for you. There we go. How does it look? Is that all right? Yeah. Eagles. Go Eagles. E-A-G-L-E-S. Yeah, there you go. All right. Go Eagles. So they stick out because of their dress. I mean, you can look at it and you just know, wow, they belong to the Philadelphia Eagles. They're also known for their speech, and we'll just probably pass on describing that here. (laughs) Their food, their behavior, and their customs. There are things that happen in that stadium that are very unique and mark Eagles fans as people who are crazy about the Eagles. And when you're there, or when you watch that, or when you observe that, you know these people are very unique. They're followers, and they're all in, and they're crazy about it. And it's fair to say that Esther wasn't acting that way. Nobody would identify her as an Eagles fan, and nobody would identify her as a Jewish person. Esther and her people had kind of forgotten about God. They were kind of, sort of, obedient. They had forgotten about God and their daily disciplines, and it caused them to lose influence. And it's not that they were bad people. They weren't bad people at all. They just kind of, sort of, obeyed. And here's the incredible thing about this story and about Esther and about us when we live in the land of kind of, sort of. God doesn't forget about us. He doesn't. He never left them. He never stopped caring. He never stopped reaching. And this is the incredible thing about God. And when we hang out in kind of, sort of, he never leaves. He never stops reaching. He never stops caring about us. And this is why we worship. And this is why we applaud him. And this is why we want God on our side because he never leaves And he always reaches. And I know we don't often clap about that stuff, but I think this would be a great time to say, God is amazing. Will you help me do that? It's true. It's true. He never leaves. And he never stops caring. And he never stops reaching out to us, even when we kind of, sort of, obey him. You know, we do the same thing as the people in this story, though, don't we? Sometimes it's kind of fun to look at this and say, wow, they really missed it and they really blew it and they don't know what they're doing. But we do the same thing. Life gets busy and we just begin doing all of the stuff around us and very quickly we can find ourselves kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of obeying God. And what does that actually look like? Well, I made a list of the different ways we kind of, sort of, obey God and just see if there's not something here that maybe challenges your heart. Maybe we've taken on the clothing of unthankfulness. When God clearly tells us, be thankful in everything and in all situations and in all circumstances. Yeah, we complain and we moan and we find ourselves very 
unthankful. That's not a big deal. That's kind of a respectable thing, don't you think? Maybe pride has invaded our life and it just kind of leaks out of us. That's not a big deal. It's kind of respectable. Maybe a lack of self-control now defines the way that we respond. That's not a big deal. I mean, that's just the way we are. Everybody just needs to deal with it and get over themselves. It's kind of a respectable thing. Maybe the weeds of anger have taken deep root in our hearts. That's not a big deal. That's respectable. Maybe judgmentalism dominates our thinking. And when we look at another individual, we're quick to judge their heart and their character and their intent. That's certainly not that big of a problem because nobody may even know we're doing that at all. That's kind of respectable, don't you think? Maybe you don't love your wife the way God wants you to love her. Or maybe you don't respect your husband the way God wants you to respect him. Or maybe you don't obey your parents the way that God wants you to obey them. Or maybe you don't really care about those who are less fortunate than you, even though God tells us time and time again, care for those and give to those who have need. Maybe we don't give back to God financially out of what he's already given to us. And sometimes we look at that stuff and we say, that's not a big deal. I mean, that stuff is just kind of respectable, kind of, sort of. Here's the problem, though. It is a big deal. And when we hang out in the land of kind of, sort of, we begin to push people away, and we lose influence, and nobody really listens to us anymore. It's a bad place to be. So back to our story. It's not long before the world comes crashing in on Esther. And as is the case on the world scene, an individual came along and decided it was a good idea to kill all of the Jewish people. And he worked for the king, and in a sneaky, manipulative, narcissistic kind of way, he convinced the king that it's a really, really good idea if we just take out all of the Jews. Let's kill them all. And the king, for whatever reason, thought that was a great idea. And so they put this plan in motion where all of the Jews would be wiped out. And Esther's cousin comes to her. His name's Mordecai. And he says, Esther, we have a significant problem on our hands. We're all about to die. And now is not the time for you to kind of, sort of, obey God. You need to take a bold move and get before the king and beg for our lives. There's only one problem here, and that is she had never revealed her true identity to the king. He didn't know that she was a Jewish person. And we're not sure why she never did that. She just didn't. And so here's how the story begins to unfold. This is Esther's conversation with Mordecai, chapter 4, verse 11. She said, all the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. So she's basically telling her cousin, it's illegal for me to go into the king. I mean, I'm the queen and everything, but I can't just barge in. That's not the way it works. This is against the law, and I will die 
if I do this, and I don't know if I'm up for that. And by the way, he hasn't even called for me for 30 days. Maybe he doesn't even know I exist. So in her mind, this is kind of a bad idea. Verse 13, Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. And by the way, I'm one of those relatives, and I'm not up for that quite yet. And then we have this great thought here. Who knows if perhaps, 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 you were made queen for just such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same, and then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Chapter 5, verse 1. On the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes, and she entered the inner court of the palace, just across from the king's hall. And the king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance. And when he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her and held out the gold scepter to her. So Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. Then the king asked her, What do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give it to you even if it is half the kingdom." We're not going to read the rest of the story here because we really don't have time, but here's what happened. The king welcomed her. Esther uh, Esther gave her request to save her people. The king listened to her, and he responded, and her people were saved. Esther stood up. She had a bold stand, and she moved out of the kind of, sort of camp and did something amazing, and God used her life in a significant way. This is a great story. So what do we do with it, actually? I mean, how does this actually intersect with our lives? What's our plan? Well, I want to share just a couple of takeaways. First of all, even when we hang out in the land of kind of, sort of, God does not forget about us. I mean, even when we're there, God does not forget about us. And this is kind of a significant thought. I mean, think about the people here. They stopped chasing God. It was no longer a big deal to them, but yet in the middle of that, God still cared and he was still there. And if that's where you're at, if you find yourself in this kind of sort of obedience mode, God knows. And he's not going to forget about you. And he's not going to leave you. He doesn't want you to stay there. But he's not going to forget about you. And he'll still reach. And he'll still care. It's really good news for us. Here's takeaway number two. Move out of the kind of sort of camp. I mean, just move out. Pick up your tent. Grab your stuff. And get out. 
Now, how do you do that? Well, I think you do that by owning your stuff. I mean, here's a simple question to ask. Is there anything on the inside of me? Is there anything in my life? Is there anything in my heart? Is there a spot where I am not completely obedient to God? I mean, does that exist? Do I give God a lot of things, but still kind of hang on to a couple of things that I want close and I don't want him to mess with? Do I obey God in a lot of areas, but hang on to some? Am I kind of, sort of, obedient? Is there anything in my heart? Is there a spot where I'm not completely obedient? If it's there, own it. And after you own it, confess it. Just acknowledge the fact that it's there and pick up your stuff and move out. I had the chance back in June to go with our team to Russia. And when we got there, we were able to serve orphans and we rebuilt a floor in one of the orphanages there and we just had a spectacular time. It really was amazing. But I got to tell you, I really wasn't that excited about the trip. Like, oh, I need to go, it'll be good, and it'll be fun, I know. Once we get back, it'll be a life-changing experience. But quite honestly, I, I really didn't want to go. And as I look back on it, I'm convinced the reason I really didn't want to go is because I was kind of living in a kind of sort of obedient world. And it's not like it was crazy or anything, but I was just kind of sort of obedient to God, and I realized that my passion and love for people wasn't exactly where God wanted it to be. It's kind of going through the motions a little bit. But that real heart, that real passion to serve others, it really wasn't there. Just kind of, sort of. And I also realized at that particular spot in my life that I had let a few of my spiritual disciplines slide. I mean, read... God's word every day, like every day, and pray to God every day. It's June. It's the summer. Can't we take a break from some of these things? It's just kind of, sort of, you know, nothing awful, but just hanging out in that kind of, sort of world. And there is something about going to a new place and getting in a new environment in a different country where people have great need, where your sin and the stuff on the inside of you gets real clear before you and God, and it's just obvious. And so all of a sudden, when I got there and saw all of this great need, I kind of thought that I was a big problem on this trip. I realized I was kind of crabby about my time. You know, I have certain things that I like to do on Monday. And when Monday finishes up, I want to be done with all of that stuff. I'm really tight with my schedule, and I just like that. And on Tuesday, there's certain things. And on Wednesday and on Thursday, I really like a tight schedule. And when we got there, we were told, you've got to be flexible in Russia. Because when we say we might do something on Monday, we might start that, but then we might adjust, and we'll do something else. So flexibility is the key word. And I thought to myself, well, I'm a flexible person. 
As long as I'm in control of the flexibility piece, right? Does anybody else feel that way? I mean, as long as I'm the one owning that, I'll be as flexible as can be. But when somebody else comes in and says, whoa, we're going to switch everything here. It's like, hang on, Captain. I don't know. And I realized that my spiritual disciplines just weren't as sharp as they needed to be. And God used that environment and that place to really renew my passion for people over schedules and to help me lean in and improve on my spiritual disciplines. And I'm not perfect. I don't have it all right. I don't get it right every single day, but I keep telling myself, move out, move out. Pick up your tent, grab your stuff, and get out of that kind of, sort of, camp. And here's why. Because if we don't pick up our stuff and take down the tent and move out, we will miss out on experiencing a God moment. And God does not want that for us. He doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want that for me. So pick up your stuff, take down the tent, and move out. Here's the final takeaway. Have someone coaching you from the bench. Have someone shouting at you, encouraging you, lifting you up, even correcting you. Have someone coaching you from the bench. Esther's coach was Mordecai. And here's the problem with this. When we live in kind of, sort of mode, not only do we stop listening to God, but we also stop listening to the people around us who might be able to help. It's like we don't even want to hear what they have to say. And so here's a few questions. Who's coaching you? Who's speaking truth into your life? Who's asking the hard questions of you? And are you listening to them? I had the chance yesterday to go to Men of Ice. It's a group of men who meet twice a month on Saturdays here, and it's a great group of guys, and God is really doing a very unique thing in that group. And one of the things that we talked about yesterday was this. Don't live in isolation. Don't live in isolation. Because that will sink you and it will destroy you. And the idea here is that we have to have someone coaching us from the bench. So who's coaching you? Who's saying the hard things to you? And are you listening? See, here's the bottom line. Kind of, sort of, obedience. Kind of obeying God. Sort of obeying God. And maybe doing that in some areas, but in other areas kind of hanging on to stuff. It's not respectable. It's not respectable at all. And it hurts our friendship with God, and it keeps us from doing significant things. God wants us to move out. And he wants us to be all in, just like Esther got all in, so that he can do something significant in our lives. I want to read to you from Esther chapter 8. You won't see these words on the screen, but this is how God used Esther's bold move to get out of kind of sort of mode. The Jews were filled with joy and gladness and were honored everywhere. (laughs) Those are just some incredible thoughts to me. 
I mean, here's a group of people that a few chapters earlier were going to be wiped out. They weren't even needed. And Esther moves out of kind of, sort of mode. And God uses her to do something significant. And her people were filled with joy and happiness and honored everywhere. And God can do the same in and through you when we move out of the kind of, sort of, obedience camp. It's not respectable. Father, we thank you for this day and for a few moments just to talk to you and have you talk to us about some of the things in our life. God, I pray they'd help every single person here to just really look in and ask themselves if there's anything going on there where we're not being fully obedient to you And then, God, when that gets very clear to us, help us to own it. Help us to confess it. Help us not to live in isolation. Help us to have someone coaching us and encouraging us. Because we know that you can do significant things through our lives when we are all in. God is Valley Point Church. We need a lot of people who are all in for you. So I pray that you'd start that in me and I pray that you'd do a great work in our faith community. Help us to be all in. Help us to avoid kind of, sort of. It happens to us. Help us to identify that and just take down the tent and move out so that you can do great things through us. God, we pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you for listening. We'd also like to invite you to join us for any of our Sunday gatherings as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 and 11 a.m.